So welcome to episode three of the Fuzz Club. Today we're talking about Necromandus and their album Erexus of Death. And I was really excited to start this one for a lot of reasons, but because this is like what I envisioned the Fuzz Club being, an, uh, an album that people haven't heard of, a band that I hadn't even heard of, and we get to listen to it and come together and talk about it. And hopefully some people out there get to discover it for the first time, as I assumed that most of us probably did these last couple of weeks as well. So yeah. to make that even more special, we have a couple special guests here to help us talk about Necromandus. Uh, Jen from Women in Vinyl is here. Thank you for being here. And Tony Reed from the one and only Moss Generator is here. So if we want to get started and just do kind of a quick introduction, then we'll kind of dive into the band and their backstory and the album and all that good stuff. So Brett, if you want to take it away. All right. My name is Brett. I play guitar and sing in the band Littlefoot. And I have an EP being released very soon called Critically Acclaimed. It'll be available for a short run on vinyl with my partner, Slightly Fuzz Records. I'm sorry, this way. Yeah. Also, my not the greatest setup today. I don't have a Laney clip, a high watt, a Risen, and a super awesome amp wall, but I'll compete next week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm Jen. I run Women in Vinyl. I also work at Gold Rush Vinyl, helping everybody get their records pressed. And um, yeah, you might know me on Instagram as Generator, Women in Vinyl, or Mistress of Reality for my 50 versions of the record and uh, the rest of my Crazy Sabbath collection. Uh, I'm from High Desert Queen. Okay, I'm up. All right, so I'm Ryan from Hydrogen Queen. I, I, I sing in Hydrogen Queen, and I also uh, run Lick of My Spoon Productions. I'm Tony from uh, Moss Generator and some whole bunch of other bands somehow keep me busy all the time. I have a studio also I've been doing for about 30 years, recording and restoring old uh, LPs and stuff. I get a lot of work from bands that from the seventies that are needing to restore for repress and stuff like that. And, and, and mastering and mixing of all kinds of bands in the heavy stoner genre. No. <laughs> Thanks. Tony. And uh, I'm Pat Schober from monster riff. And I write about all things stoner rock and stoner metal. Right on. So like I said, we're talking about Necromandus, a of death. And I could easily just read from their Wikipedia page because it's interesting enough, but I won't. So, uh, Tony, I understand that you have some knowledge about this band. So I'm going to just kind of let you take it away and maybe tell us how you found out about Necromandus, what you know about their story. But I think there's a lot of details and maybe we don't have all of, all of them here, but about T Tony Iommi discovering them or managing them and the band playing with Ozzy. Uh, stuff like that. So I think there's a lot to unpack here. So where do you think that we should start with this band? Well, first they're from the Midlands or up in the area where Sabbath were from, Birmingham and that kind of stuff. And uh, they they kind of seemed to run around with them. I know that they did some, some roadieing for Sabbath here. That was the big thing that they were Sabbath roadies. That's not completely true, but they did some of that. And uh, played around in the area and yes, Iomi did, did manage them in 72 and 73 and he got him a record deal with Vertigo and uh, it, for some reason, the, and there's live recordings of March from uh, March of 73 where they're saying our album's going to be out in two or three weeks time on Vertigo and it never came out. <laughs> so there's a huge mystery I, and, and Iomi was running this Taurus management at that point. I just feel like he was too busy this was like right like after volume four came out yeah Is that right yeah they necromandus tour was sabbath on the volume four tour so if you listen to that live at last record which is recorded in a couple places uh in early 73 um necromandus and badger were supporting them on that tour wow and, uh, it, unfortunately there's no they didn't multi-track the necromandus shows which would have been really great because all the live recordings i have are, are pretty rough but but they were the freeforming is is really amazing. You know, Baz Dunner is just such a great guitar player. But and so 
after the failure of the of the Vertigo record to come out, they trudged along for a little bit longer, and then Baz left. And he, when 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 someone like that leaves, they couldn't recover. They couldn't find another guitar player like that. So, so is there is there a reason, or is there like folklore around why that album never came out, or why they didn't? I mean, that's a big push, especially at that time, to have Tony Iommi. Pressing plants were just as backed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I was reading was that... We just waited a year. <laughs> yeah, so what I was reading was... So I read a lot of interviews with their drummer mm-hmm. because apparently he was just friends with everybody. Kicking around with, like, John Bonham, you know, yeah. all those guys. Literally just hanging out with Bill Ward and Tony Iommi all the time. And he grew up with Ozzy. And they were just all super tight with everybody. And then he was just kind of always playing around there, which it does shock me that they couldn't find another guitar player because in that area, like, so like what I read from the interview was that he was like, yeah, he's like, so pretty much when the crippling anxiety took, took our guitar player out, Baz, as you were saying, he's like, he called Tony straight up and was like, cause they were about to go out on a U.S. tour to like really, slapped their stuff in front of everybody. And uh, they were about to go out on a U.S. tour, and he just quit. He was just like, nope, I'm done. Just didn't tell anybody. He was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. And uh, the drummer said that he called Tony Iommi, who was already on tour right now. He called him, and he was like, hey, man, he quit. What do you think we should do about the record? And he, Tony Iommi was like, do you think you can find a guitar player as good as him or somebody that can replace him? He was like, no. And he was like, probably just quit them. And that's, yeah. that's what he said, why oh. they just dropped it. But I'm like, come on, dude, you got Richie Blackmore? You got any of those guys. I'm like, Jeff Beck quits his band every other week. Why not call him? It sounded like they were kind of slated. I mean, obviously from the connection to Tony and Ozzy, but they were kind of slated to be the next Sabbath or something. Like people projected them to be this really big band. It sounded like. And then for them to not even put out the material just seems so weird. Yeah. I mean, tons of albums got shelved back then all the time. Yeah. And personally, when I listened to it, yeah, that's not. And also I brought my mom in on this Fuzz Club stuff. I have her listen to the albums too with us. She, uh, she called me and she was like, this sounds like, yes, Frank Zappa and Black Sabbath doing one yeah. project together. Yeah. Sabbath, like meets Cosmic one that I saw come up a few times. Yeah. It, it, well, people, people. Well, I was drawn to it because of its connection to Sabbath. This is probably like twenty years ago. A friend of mine had a CD. It's been issued. The Rexus of Death has been issued a lot of times. I have all the issues on vinyl, and there's been all That's these awesome. weird compilations and stuff. And uh, but they really don't resemble Sabbath hardly at all. It's it's. I yeah. hear a lot of talk. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, listening to it, knowing going into it, knowing that they had this connection to to Black Sabbath, and then kind of going into it with that ear, I was like, "There's like no distortion here. There's no fuzz here, and really the vocals are, you know, clearly nowhere like Ozzy." There was like one moment on one song where I was like, "Oh, maybe he took this cue from Ozzy here," but that was about it. Like they they were really a very very different band than than any Sabbath. I think when the record starts, though, it sounds very paranoid to me. I mean, almost that riff is almost identical in my ear i mean and then there were other parts to me that reminded me of the band dark um who also put out a record in 72 and it was like just one record and other people have reissued it a ton of times and i think it's the guitar player somebody from the band has found out that other people have been bootlegging it and so he's been raising money to put it out himself again um, but they have this song called Zero Time, and I can hear a lot of that in this too. It's really cool. You figure a lot of these people were kind of hanging around or whatever, you know. Like, yeah. Especially these British bands that were playing all this heavy rock. You know, there had to be just, you know, how when you hang around all your buddies or whatever, I mean, yeah. like whatever's floating around the scene gets kind of recycled. I hear a lot of nectar in what they're mm. doing too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were they were going pretty strong at that point, but that's yeah, a such yeah. a weird a weird. Well, like I said, every night, like the drummer was talking, he's like, "Yeah, he's like every night I was hanging out with somebody different, and they're all legends now." But he's like, I mean, like he calls Ozzy by his real name. Yeah, 
yeah. you know, he's like, yeah, he's like, of course we're sitting there at a club with every band you can think of. So it's like, yeah, it's all going to come around little things. They all take from each other, but yeah, yeah but right. I did. go ahead. Sorry. I was saying if, if they were in any way tabbed as being the next Sabbath and then they don't, to me, they don't sound like Sabbath. That's got to be an immense amount of pressure. Uh, on anybody nobody wants to have the goal be set that high and like well shit we don't we're not trying to even be like sabbath and something because i think that was more of a a lot of it i think that was more of a play by tony iomi as their manager because you got to think of it at the time they're not like we're legends we're gonna be they're just a band and they're just like breaking through just now and he's like oh these are my good friends they're the next sabbath yeah, he's not thinking right, we're going right. to be legends for the next 50 years. Like, if I had a friend in a band and my band was successful, you bet your ass I'd be like, oh, the next little foot. Fucking A right, you know? Yeah, like, he's their marketing. Yeah, sure. so, like, of course he's going to be like, they're the greatest band ever. Like, I it's, a bold, like, it's a bold statement for sure because we're still looking yeah. for the next Sabbath. So Yeah, it's not yeah, like they can go on YouTube and be like, Necromandus, what do they sound like? He's like, they sound like Sabbath. So anybody that likes a Sabbath record is going to go to their record store with their thirty dollars and yeah. slap it on the table and buy the Necromandus record. I, I I do wonder how heavy they they could get though, because like I, I found the the self titled record as well, and there's some like really weird stuff on there that's even more toll. It's like very folky, like very folk rock. But I wonder, like, how far they ever went into the other direction, which was just like super, <laughs> super bassy, um, a lot more of that Sabbath in, vibe. In, I have a, probably seven or eight live shows from '72, and so where they're stretching out, some songs are like 20 minutes, and that they they certainly push the limits. Of I mean, they go like Nightjar, that first song on the on Erectus of Death they don't go too far past that, that crunchy sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it does seem to, and, and it only does because the, the audio quality is rough. Like they're pushing their amplifiers in the PA and right. that's what's making this saturation on, on the live stuff. But they seem to keep it pretty in that same box as you hear on the record, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, but they, you know, they did other recordings too. There's, there's, I, the record I released has some unreleased material on it. And, and a friend that gave me all this stuff, who's friends with the band, I've actually met Frank Hall, the drummer. He's come out to see us a lot of times, or what, three times. And we would sit and talk about, you know, what they did. And he, he actually drew me a, a photo. He sent me a thing that he drew of the band. And he gave me a bunch of really cool stuff, like original Taurus uh, 8x10 promo photos and stuff wow. from 72. Like those, those for the, and it says managed by Tony Iommi on this thing. It's super cool stuff. (laughs) Wow. But uh, that's who I'm getting via somebody else is getting stuff from him and then transferring it and sending it to me. And of course, you know, we just, I just keep getting better and better versions of these recordings. Like, like take, for instance, the Erexus of Death record is, in my opinion, I think it's a rough mix. And every copy of the record that I have has dropouts in the same area. It's from a cassette. I'm almost positive. And all the dropouts happen in exactly the same areas. Luckily, whoever dumped this down, dumped it down with quite a bit of uh, treble so that they could notch that out when they made a mix of it. So it wouldn't be, there's no tape hiss on it. It's actually a pretty good mix, but I've got other mixes now. And I'm like, okay, this is either the final mix or that's, or, or or that's the final mix, and this is a rough mix. Some of it sounds a lot better, but I seem to be like a weird necromandus archivist. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like, like I really it. have a lot of stuff behind. So, how did you first hear of necromandus? Was it when you were working on the record, or or was it? No, there was a buddy like like probably like twenty years ago, and he had this CD because we would trade. So, I went, what do you got? Like an audio archives that was putting out all kinds of cool downer rock compilations and records and they did they did like uh you know let's see oh he came prepared yeah he did <laughs> this Absolutely. is an audio archive it's called necrothology and then there's uh Arexis of death on black widow Arexis of death on um rise above relics 
this is a really this is the definitive one. I think that's the one that I listened to on Spotify was the and live version. Same here. Same. And this is the first one, and it's called Quicksand Dream. It's not even called Erexes of Death. Interesting. Wow. And and then there's the one that I released, which has like you know a bunch of unreleased stuff and some acetates and live live recordings. And uh, but uh, so so we would talk about audio archives, and I got it from this dude. And then I covered Stillborn Beauty probably about 10 or 11 years ago and put it up on, and this dude put it up on YouTube and then the band got a hold of me. It was more, it was longer than that. It was probably 12 or 13 years ago. Then the band got a hold of me and was like, man, it's really cool that you did our stuff. And then when we went on tour over there, this band I was in at the time, um, they would well. Frank is the only one that's still alive. He would come to the. He came to a couple of shows and came again uh, in 2017, and uh, and so that's how that all came about. And I was just taken by Baz's chord, uh, what he chose, what kind of chords he chose to play. I felt like I was really in in tune and really. Uh, they moved me. They sounded like something I would write. The, these really odd jazz type chords i'm totally familiar with all these but i don't hear very many people using them so i was totally drawn to his guitar style and i and i have to admit too that i'm way late to the game on necromantic like i heard about him two weeks ago we said hey we should do this record (laughs) and uh (laughs) and and i started listening to him and and i my catalog doesn't go back as far like my my rock history doesn't go back as far as it as it should i'm getting into that now but like, you know, the stuff I listen to is like, you know, obviously Zeppelin and like uh, King Crimson and things like that. So that's the stuff that I would hear because it's what I know. Yeah. But uh, but modern and I'll be completely honest, there's a lot of his vocal patterns and even some of the guitar thing. I was like, man, there's like some mosh generator in this. And, and, and to me, I don't, that's purely just because it's what I know, because I listen to you guys a sure. lot. So I could I hear not that and not that the patterns are the same at anything you do. They're just an unusual pattern, not something you hear traditionally done. And I was like, wow, like I'm as a vocalist, I was floored by this record vocally. I thought his vocal patterns were so cool and his cadence was so unique. So I was like, I was all in. And uh, to and to be completely honest, I can hear like uh, some of the interesting vocal patterns you choose, uh, Tony, I can hear uh some of that it's it reminds me of that it's not the same but it reminds me i i think that's why i was so drawn to it because it did it did kind of you know move me some of my well okay i get that so yeah that's that's it's because i was already pretty developed as a writer when i first heard that record and so but sometimes you're like that's why it moves you that's like you know really correct you know something like that the reason I liked it so much because it wasn't what you would traditionally hear done. Yeah. Right. And, and I didn't, I went blind. I went in blind, not knowing it. I didn't know the IOMI connection, nothing. I went in blind listening to it and I would have never guessed And I started doing my research going, Oh man, IOMI did this. This is not very Sabbath to me at all. I was, I was completely on another, another realm, but I, the guitar patterns, the vocal patterns and the absolute groove of that rhythm section it just, I, I moved the entire time. Tempo changes. <laughs> Nowhere, probably never heard of a click track or anything back there. It was, and it was awesome. It was just like it, the whole album moves. and I was all over it. So it was great. So, <clears throat> Ryan, I, I dropped out for a minute. So I might have missed something because <laughs> my internet again. But <laughs> uh, I, I listened to this record and I thought the vocals were maybe the weakest part to me. So what was it about this vocals and what does everyone else think about this vocalist? that you thought was so strong and I guess maybe part of it was me trying to think of it as like a Sabbath kind of thing, an Aussie thing. And that was probably the very, very worst thing to go into it as but for me, the vocals left yeah. a little bit, uh, a little bit to be desired. I think, I think because I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know the Sabbath connection uh, was probably really good for me, but I think it was so unique vocally. Like I think as a vocalist, when I hear songs like, man, what possesses somebody to to write in that cadence or vocal pattern? And I, I think it was so unusual. And like some of the lyrics, man, like "Stillborn Baby" or "Stillborn Beauty," I think it's Beauty? called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's I a, have a little fact about that. He's stillborn baby. 
that's what I was saying. It's not far off. It's not far off, though. Yeah. So just far enough. Yeah. <laughs> there's a little all the song titles and Orexus of Death aren't the song titles. Whoever found this tape and released it named all those songs. And they oh, named wow. the record. That's not what it was supposed to be called. It Weird. was supposed to be self-titled, I think. And I have all the real names. And uh, so sometimes when, you know, sometimes when I get these files, it'll, they'll be, you know, weird titles on them. I'm, oh, okay, that's Stillborn Beauty or that's. Do you have the record, like the album or the titles of the tracks with you right now? Yeah, yeah. Can we set the record straight? Yeah, because that's so interesting to me. I was just talking. Yeah, like that's something. If I was watching this, or, I would want to. I'd be like, Tell I, me. Yeah. I was. I was or talking did you to update Blake, them who, on any of of the one on the one that you put out? Did you update any of them? Um, only only a couple because the ones that I did weren't from that. They're other songs. They're, okay. they're not from Rexes of Death, so they were named properly. Um, like Stillborn Beauty, it was called Marijuana Make Those Eyes At, at Me. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. that. And, uh, but some of them are really <laughs> weird. Like, uh, <laughs> right, Night Jar is called Don't Look Down, Frank. <laughs> you know, and wow. uh, Black Solitude's called Yam. I mean, I think the names weren't, <laughs> so, weren't solidified. Those they, sound like working, working titles. titles. Those sound like working titles, for <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> like homicidal homicidal psychopath is called Big Fine Lad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> These names that somebody wow. came up with are much better than Yo Yo My Sandwiches or something. But it's, so yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a little misleading because I was gonna say I was talking to Blake who who couldn't join us tonight, unfortunately, but I was talking about like you, you get this band when Paul recommended this band called Necromandus. I'm like, okay, that's a good start for like a Doom record or or something, an old record. And then it's a Rexus of Death. Then it's Homicidal Psychopath. Then it's Stillborn Beauty. And I'm like, this is going to be like, and now they're supposed to be the next Black Sabbath. I'm th I'm expecting like for all these reasons, like this is going to be a heavy old record. And it wasn't exactly. And it was just, there were so many things going on with the, the backstory, the song titles, you know, the, the sound that actually came out of the speakers as opposed to what I thought was going to come out of the speakers. All of it was just really interesting for, for a lot and of That's reasons. not uncommon though. Yeah. That's you look at these records that are coming out, and you're like you're talking about that dark record and and stuff like that. There's so many of those bands, and you get the record and you put it on. You're like, what's going on here? The only real band that truly delivered was Pentagram. That totally <laughs> could have been it was even even close to even maybe coming close to being kind of Sabbath heavy. No one will ever touch Black Sabbath. Sure, yeah, no, right. You know, that's just the, the uh, in so many levels. But Pentagram is the one that probably came the closest consistently. There's consistent songs because so, a lot of these records just had one or two heavies and then they would be going over here and over there. Totally. You know, so many of these underground rock records yeah. doesn't mean they weren't good. It's just right. sometimes yeah. you're searching right. for that next Sabbath and you're just not going to get it. Back to what Ryan was saying, though, slightly fuzzed Ryan, that is, uh, about the vocals. So, yeah, my, like, I felt a little underwhelmed by the vocals. Not that there's anything wrong with them. No. But, like, most of the music I listen to is from 1968 to 1975. So, like, I definitely went in hoping it was, like, Sabbath with Glenn Hughes singing. Right. Kind of we mentioned Ian Gillen earlier, too. So. Yeah, Ian Gillen. I love, like, those are two of my favorite singers, both with Deep Purple at separate times. But right. yeah, like just imagine like the highs on Burn soaring through a band like that. Because once again, the other difference between them and Sabbath that is like huge is that the bass. Like they got a very prog bassist. Like that guy is playing way more like Getty Lee than he would be playing like Geezer Butler. Sure. Which yep. completely changes the sound of the band. Especially back then, not so much now because people just stopped caring about bass for some reason. But <laughs> like their bass player is like playing straight to it, and their drummer is just trucking along. It sounds like Ian Pace once again, Deep Purple. It sounds like yeah. Ian Pace and Getty Lee are their rhythm section. <laughs> <laughs> it's a now, pretty damn I, good rhythm section, though. I'll say that. 
Oh yeah, that'd be a killer rhythm section, no doubt. So but, uh, so let's go in, go into that just a little bit. So <clears throat> we mentioned the connection to Tony Iommi and the management. He discovered them, etc. But speaking of their rhythm section and everything, uh, another fact that I found on their Wikipedia that I'm going to pass off uh, as my own, just because I know so much about all this stuff, is that this band was originally slated to play on Blizzard of Oz for Ozzy. And we kind of started getting into that before we started recording. But Tony, do you know any more about that, about how they were supposed to be, but they didn't, they found Randy Rhodes, et cetera. Like what, what happened there? Well, what was the, story that's, behind all the that? first, the first time, and I think they were doing it right before he left, but the first time Ozzy left, which was right after sabotage, he had put these guys, the three, the rhythm section of Necromandus together. And, and as I said, before the program started, there are recordings. I talked to Frank, he said, there are recordings of them rehearsing at Ozzy's cottage and wherever he lived up in England. And, uh, but then that folded and Ozzy rejoined. And then, you know, they, they began to work on it. might've actually might've quit the first time after, no, he quit twice. You know, he might've quit the first time after technical ecstasy, but um, they may, they did those, those jams. I don't know how many rehearsals there were, but it sure would be cool if those recordings still existed just to see. And then it took a few more years for Ozzy to, to discover Randy or, and yeah. quit, quit or get, quit, get fired and then go through what he did and then find, you know, yeah. Yeah. Fan, how, how different do you imagine that, that Blizzard of Oz album being if, if Necromandis went to the recording studio and, and made that album with Ozzy? Well, in that, in that time around 76, it, it, it wouldn't have been anything like uh, the Blizzard of Oz album because yeah. the times had changed. And also, Randy was a young guy. He was up on what was going on right. with, with songwriting and guitar playing at that time. Yeah. So he, he, would have had, he had a, a way different take on, on, uh, on that. And, that, and that's the Lee Kerslake, Bob Daisley rhythm section of those first two albums. That married both those together because you had Randy who was young and influenced by what was happening at the time. And then you had a great rhythm section from the 70s kind of bringing that all together. Yeah, I don't even want to get started on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those those recordings, whether they exist anymore or not, I, no one knows. Well, somebody Yeah, to get, to get our hands on those, how nice would that yeah. be? Just a yeah. fly on the wall would be, you know, that kind of thing would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read some interviews about those sessions and everything and about that whole time period, once again, from the drummer, because he, he tells a lot about it. But once again, like, Ozzy was his buddy, you know? So, like, when they were getting to work with Ozzy, they weren't like, holy shit, we're getting to work with Ozzy. They were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go do this with him. And, like, at that point in time, he couldn't even keep his head on straight. Like, he said half the time Ozzy would just wake up at, like, 5 in the afternoon, come downstairs, like, what do you guys got? And they're like, oh, great, we got this. <laughs> you know, and they were like, they said it was pretty much doomed from the start. Yeah. Which, that, that's, yeah, that's just the time period where Ozzy was. True. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, you guys all know he's, like, right. just totally facing the spaghetti, kind of messed up. But, uh yeah, he said that was all pretty much like, pretty much just like a pipe dream, and they kind of got tired of it after like a couple of weeks. And they were like, "Whatever, we'll just go back to doing whatever we're doing." And then on another note, Vertigo is the one that screwed Black Sabbath right before, uh, right before they dropped. Uh, oh shit! What's that album? It's the one where they're standing in front of the mirror. Sabotage. 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 Yeah, so they're the ones that dropped him right before Sabotage, right? But kept screwing him on all their reprints well, and all their... Up, that and all was that. their management that was doing that. The yeah. management was giving them... The, yeah, the, the dude in the fun. Because they went up through Vertigo. I, I've got some Vertigo Never Say Die copies. Yeah, I actually got them sitting over and, there. And Heaven and Hell. And uh, yeah, they went pretty far up on Vertigo. Yeah, it started it getting passed over. around all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, they've been released. I mean, that's why I have 50 copies of Master of Reality, because they just started yeah. passing them around to anybody that would release Quick, release quick them. question, what's your favorite copy? 
Uh, the original Vertigo UK and the Japanese Vertigo are my favorite too. I like the I'm the Green Label Warner Brothers with the wrong with the subtitles yep. on it. The Death the Mask and everything. Label, yeah. Yep. Yep. The, I think those have the best. They're the darkest sounding versions. They're the heaviest sounding ones. They could probably use a little notch and some frequencies up. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I, no, I think I think that, that that's actually a, a fascinating part of this. Like the fact that you can tell a difference between fifty different versions of the same album shows the difference between your ears and mine. Because I think that I would listen to that and be like, "Yeah, I know, I've heard this before. I get it." And the fact listen. that you can tell a difference between fifty different copies is is amazing. Well, listen to the quadraphonic paranoia on a stereo on right. a two track, two channel stereo. You'll get all kinds of difference. Not yeah. different stuff, but stuff placed weird because there's missing things, and yeah. that's super fun. Wow. I love well, it. Well, it's it's interesting because how the records are pressed. You know how how were the masters getting passed around? Were people sending metal plates? What was going on? Like with the Japanese pressing, for example, like the oil embargo was different, so the vinyl was different in Japan than what was happening in the states and in in the UK. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff that if you sit and listen to the nuances, it's like pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's so many through each country, you don't know where their masters are coming from. Exactly. Yeah, like you're talking and, about. You're like, man, I was thinking about that the other day. Like you got a Taiwanese uh, version of some, the best of Black Sabbath. Well, where, where are these coming? Are they taking them off another record? Or, you know, you just never exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's so bad. Yeah. So, Jen, how do you find these these different nuances about it? Do you listen to them side by side? Do you do you listen to one track and then go switch over to the other one and compare it? How do you know the difference between fifty of these? My ears would just go, "It's it's close enough. You're good." Sometimes it's really obvious. So, like yeah. the Taiwanese ones and things like that, where they were literally probably ripping from a record that they that someone had to then press another record. You sure. can tell it's just really rough. Others, yeah, if you do A, B, or play them next to each other, you can tell little nuances and stuff about them. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. What, what, else, what else do you want to tell us about this album? I want to I, talk we'll about dive into the, the album. We'll dive into the music quick. a little bit, but you tell yeah, us whatever you want to I want to hear your take on the vocals. I started to give mine. I, that's why I think it's a rough mix. The vocals aren't mixed properly. They're, they're pretty high in the mix, and they're not, they're not compressed. You know what I mean? They're not, it's not a final mix, and I think the vocals sit too high. The they're record. on top. They're and, totally on yeah, top. They're on top, and, and there's other things that aren't present enough. And in these other mixes I've been getting, I was getting a more dynamic drum mix, hmm. stuff like that. The drums are real mono-ish on some of this, but I've got other versions where they're spread out and there's a lot more punch in them. So it could have been a, a, a the source tape was an earlier. Well, it's not the same mix. I know that. So it's not the source tape being an earlier copy. Um, so, But, yeah, I think th that would help the vocals if they were placed uh, in the mix and and if you really want to go on a musical if there's preference and then there's musical ability i would say that the vocals are the weakest part of the record that's my i agree with that i i believe that, that he has interesting takes on stuff his vocal melodies are, are interesting but as a musician he is the the one with the least amount of uh ability and for what instrument he's doing Tony, let yeah. me ask you one last question. Um, mm -hmm. Where do you put Necromandus and this album in rock history? In in, okay. in the, the the history of all of this stuff, Black Sabbath, everything else. Wh where do they belong in all this? And if, how much of the discussion should they be a part of? If you look at it in in a the full scheme scheme of things, a scheme of rock, they they don't they don't go very high. They, they didn't earn this thing. But if, if when I look at when I'm talking about underground uh, heavy rock of the 70s, a downer rock or whatever you might want to call it, they're my favorite one out of all of them. And we're talking, you know, anybody that didn't that's getting reissued in these where they might have made one record or that, that that kind of area, you know, something like Made Blitz. I know they had more than one record, but, you know, there's all these kind of these bands that are sitting right below even stuff like uh, Captain Beyond or something, right? The sitting below that, I would. They're my favorite. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. Wow. And I understand that it's a little. Their music is is un. Um, it's unrealized. You feel like they're still a young band. They're just yeah. still 
kind of finding their way. And, and the guitar player went and did some work in this band called Violinsky. And, and that he doesn't shine in that. I was really hoping when I got that record, it would have his really, his amazing playing. I actually hear Iommi taking from Baz later on in some of his solos when they became, I mean, I hear a passing back and forth because of Planet Caravan solo, of course, has that jazzy solo and, and, and Baz is like that. But then mm -hmm. Iommi kind of takes his style later and starts to use it on stuff like uh, at the end of symptom of the universe when it goes to that acoustic section which is my favorite part of the song that's that that part's amazing um because it sounds like necromandus yeah groove so well yeah yep. but uh anyway okay i have to go tony i i really appreciate you coming on and telling us all about this record because i think it's very interesting in, in the whole story so thanks a lot for being here man you're very welcome it's nice to meet y'all Yep. Now I'm gonna well, I can't play it. Thanks for dropping some knowledge, man. Um take care. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Awesome for Tony Reed to stop by and to tell us all about that stuff. It's cool that that he had all this bag knowledge about it. I've never heard of this album before. I know a lot of us hadn't. So uh I, I guess we were all missing out on this, although it's not very fuzzy. So I guess maybe there's a reason for that. Dude, I dove in hard to it last week. Yeah. I started reading everything I could find about him. I dig it. That gun it's really I interesting. It. I find it really interesting. It's really cool. But the question you just asked Tony, like to sum all that up, they didn't have any time to grow. Yeah. You know, so it's hard to place them anywhere. Being that you have to think, like even in three years, which is when they probably would have released another record, the amount of things that came out in between that and the amount of stuff that was made to ease production, anything. Like, look at Led Zeppelin Four with the Echo Wreck on John Bonham's drum sound in a stairwell. Like, you know, they had stuff coming out like that. Like, so you can't even imagine what they would have made next. Yeah. You can't imagine how it would have sounded at all. So, to, like, to play some isn't really fair because they never had a fair shot. Right. But, it's a but cool also, album at the same time, they had the, they had the ultimate leg up. At the, the same yeah. time, they had the ultimate leg up. They had Iomi, they had Ozzy, they had they had all this backing. Like the fact that they never put this record out, the fact yeah. that they never like made it even semi big, is just so bizarre to me. It's just so yeah. weird. One, the one that they could cracks, not find another guitar player. It's the ultimate yeah. falling through the cracks. Yeah. yeah. I I wonder if they had had different management, if if they would have done better. And I don't mean that as a knock against Tony. Right. But I mean, like Black Sabbath was terribly fumbled from the beginning. Like for those oh, first yeah. years, like how poorly managed they were, and how much better they maybe could have done if if they were better taken care of. Yeah, um, when they started managing themselves, they were just their manager was cocaine. <laughs> right. And uh, I mean, like Tony obviously was a super busy dude, and so like I don't. But how I have... how much of him managing this band was? I'll put my name behind it. Right. Good luck. Yeah. So yeah. Well, no, like I read a lot that he was a good manager and everything. Like, you know, yeah. phone calls, he was there when he could be. But uh, it was a bad management call to tell him just to stop. Like you already have that whole investment of making the record. Like find another guitar player to play it while you got to tour it. And it's going to change the sound of the band regardless. But who knows? Because that could have been a great thing. Think of all the killer bands that came out of exactly where they are in that small time period. Well, I listened to all those like Brown Acid albums right. from like Heavy Psych and stuff. Like, yep. yeah. Or it, no, it's Riding Easy. Riding Easy. Riding Easy. Sorry. Easy, yeah. Yes, you're right. Um, and I listened to those and I go like, this band could easily at least be on that compilation, if not bigger. And you listen to some of those bands and go, these bands should have been big, too. And it was just a sign of the times that like, we're going to pick these couple over here and they're going to be huge. The rest of them, we're going to completely forget about and you're not going to hear from them for a long time. Well, and it's just kind of the way that maybe the industry worked and the way radio worked or something, I guess, you know, I wasn't God, I was I through that, that era, but it just seems like another casualty of the, the way things were. Well, like I said before, I agree at that time, Nobody thought that they were going to be legends for the next 50 years. Like, that's like, you got to think, like, if you right now were in a band and, like, you're like, okay, we're making this record, you know, like, even your friends that are in Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Black Sabbath, 
even those guys are like, man, I hope we can ride this out for another year. Like, that's how everybody's looking at it, man. Like, the Eagles, they yeah. thought they were like, man, we got like another year tops, like when they released Hotel California. Yeah. They didn't think we're going to be on mainstream radio every single day for the rest of our lives. Like, yeah. So there is always that, like, like you have to take into consideration. It's not how it is now where we're like Black Sabbath, fucking legends. Like, they're here forever. Right. I listen to them every right. day. No, yeah. they were like, hindsight hindsight is a, a special thing, right? I mean, yeah. hindsight is something where, you know, you just look at them and you go, they must have known from the start that they had something special. And the, the fact is they probably went 20 years into it and thought that they could be, you know, a grocery store cashier the next day. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. So, all right. I want to move this along and go into the album a little bit more. But like I tried multiple times, <laughs> I want to share this one, this one little <laughs> fact. Uh, Frank Hall, who you mentioned, the drummer, I think the only surviving member still at this point. Yeah. He was friends with John Bonham. I think what you mentioned. Yep. And he was gifted Bonham's green sparkle heartbreaker drum kit. Yep. Which I thought was amazing because I'm such a Led Zeppelin fan. I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. So the fact that he gave it to Frank Hall either means he thought he was something special or they were just really close friends. But also to that story is now owned by the drummer of the Verve. That's wild. Is wow. anyone remember the verb? The verb. <laughs> yeah. Freshman. No, I had to put that. I had verb. to put that. The verb pipe, yeah. Not the verb pipe, which yeah. was a bigger band. The verb is the Richard verb. Ashcroft. The verb yeah, has one Nice to listen to Richard Ashcroft, which, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it wasn't I even there. The green sparkle. The sample. That's a, that's a good possibility. Yeah, I mean it's a great song, it's a classic, but yeah, they had one song and half of it was stolen. Yeah, the Bittersweet <laughs> Symphony, mm-hmm. they stole the sample. They get no royalties on that song. Ooh, that's that's tough because it, it yeah. really is one of my favorite songs from that like era of music. And it's their one song. That's, <laughs> that's a tough one. So well, anyway, they, now he know he owned John Bonham's Green Sparkle Kid, and it was yeah. uh, Frank Hall's. So I read about that. And it was actually like when Carmine App or Carmine Apiece, not Apice, Apice, got his like when he got John Bonham's Ludwig endorsement and everything. Shortly after that, they were hanging out and they were playing gigs, and Frank was there, and he was like, "Man, those Ludwigs are cool. I'd like a pair." And he was just like, "Take them home." Wow. Yeah, he just hooked up. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. So. Let's talk about the album. We talked about the backstory, which I think might be the most interesting part, unfortunately. But the album is very interesting. The album is definitely different than what we've talked about so far on on the Fuzz Club. It's definitely not fuzzy. Like I said earlier, it's it's not fuzzy. So what did everyone think about it? And let's be honest about it. We we kind of dove into the vocals. Some like it, some don't. Some some thought it would be heavier, some didn't. You know, what what did we think about it? And what was your highlights and, and lowlights of this album? Before you told me anything about it, I thought I was going into like some sort of thrash thing. Yeah. By the name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I was more pleasantly surprised again. In the beginning, to me, it I hear some paranoid in there, um, and like the first track, um, and then again, like some just like a proggy kind of sound throughout. I mean, I I enjoyed it. I mean, like I said too, I got the record. I want to hear it um, on vinyl too. Hmm. I don't always venture into the classics, classic rock or older stuff anymore. I used to all the time. I'm, I, I still love a lot of it, but I have to like remind myself that there's more to be discovered. So sometimes I just don't do enough of it. So this was a nice, this was a nice little, um, I don't know, little detour from the normal fuzz and doom and stoner stuff that we've been talking about. This was a nice little detour into like an older album, especially that I've never heard of it, never heard of the band, never listened to the album. I really enjoyed that part of it. And I liked most of the album. I thought that it was good. I don't think that it was amazing. It didn't blow my mind. I was hoping for something heavier, but uh, I thought it was great. And and to discover something of this quality and the the backstory behind it with with Black Sabbath and stuff was just, it seems like such a diamond in the rough. And I think that's why it was so appealing to me to to talk about it on the Fuzz Club, which was cool. Yeah, Yeah. I, I was really happy to do this one because i i'd never heard this band and i'm gonna be completely honest when i first heard it i go okay i don't really like this record it didn't it's not doing it for me um but i i appreciate it i i, I hear it like oh it's just totally 70s it's totally 
you know, I, I hear all of that, those elements, the, the, the yep. recording quality is bad. I get it. <laughs> and then when this got delayed, this, this, to be completely honest, when we delayed this podcast, I listened to it more and now I actually really like the record. So I think the delay was a good thing because I actually went yeah. back because yeah. I, I originally heard it go, hmm, all right, well, it's okay. I hear some things here. I'll talk about that. Okay. I'm not going to listen to it much anymore. And then yeah. I started listening to it again to refresh my memory. And I started appreciating things I did not hear. Like, holy shit, the guitar player is a madman, you know, and the rhythm section is, is ridiculous. And I, I did personally like the vocals because it was weird. Like, <laughs> not that I'm weird as a vocalist, but he was weird. And I appreciated that that was like, so not what I think anybody would have done to a fault, maybe uh, on some of those songs, but I appreciated that it was like, it was out there. Mm-hmm. So it grew on me to say the least. Mm-hmm. Brett, do you want to go next? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I was hoping for more like, uh, like vocally, like, don't get me wrong. I did not hate the vocals at all. No. Yeah, I didn't. What either. I was hoping for was more like Montrose, Sammy Hagar era, you know, like that over top of yeah, that yeah. would have been like killer, like bad motor scooter, hard or rock candy, like all that kind of shit. Like, or like I said, like if Glenn Hughes was the lead singer of that band, that would have been crazy. I feel like it would have pushed it way over the top. But I mean, like, like I said, I don't hate the vocals. They're just pretty middle of the road. And like you said, yeah. the melodies and stuff are super creative, but um, I think like mm-hmm. if we would have had like a crazy vo- crazy good vocalist. I think it would have been released regardless not to mention yeah. like i said about you know like at the time like not sure about what's going to live on and what's not going to i feel like if they would have had a bit more of a selfish front man he would have made him release it anyways and been like Fuck that guy quit whatever let's just go yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. what's funny is we're, we're also looking at it through this lens of it's called necromantis and and we, we already went through these, these details but for, it's called necromantis it's got backing from black sabbath songs like uh the homicidal psychopath you know the stillborn beauty it's called a rexes of death all these things this, this is how we're looking through it or at least how i'm looking at it and i'm going like it just doesn't live up to the the heaviness of all those words that i just said <laughs> and that's not fair mm-hmm. because yes that also they're, wasn't they're, necessarily a good thing during that time either i mean black right. sabbath well, had a lot they, of they had a different band name, yeah. which we didn't yeah. talk about yet they had a different band name they they chose this necromandus from like a radio poll or something they were called something else <laughs> so yeah, that wasn't their band name it wasn't the the original name of the album wow. it wasn't the original name of the songs so the fact <laughs> that we're like lumping it in to this heavy black sabbath thing is completely unfair because in in all rights they're like a prog band. It could have just been called anything else, and we wouldn't even be talking about it right now. So mm-hmm. it's a little unfair for me to judge it by its heaviness because there was nothing heavy about them until twenty years later. <laughs> if I was in that band, I would have named it No. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they're like, yeah, what- like yes, be like no. No. Well, what, yeah, Wikipedia says Hot Spring Water, and then briefly renamed Taurus before settling on necromandus so yeah if this was all the song titles that that tony listed off like this is my friend frank or whatever it was and like (laughs) (laughs) and then they had a a name like that i don't know that we would even talk about it right now yeah the record the record already sounds like it was recorded in like a jam room you know someone's like garage jam room like that's kind of why the vocals sit on top to me it sounds like when we record a practice yeah. How do you record the practice? The vocals are the loudest thing on everything because they're the only ones that aren't mic. The mic is going straight into the board. But like, uh, and if they had those those song titles and then that mix, it would have been like, dude, go get this produced or something. It's totally, yeah. totally different. So to- I, I think Tommy Iami played a part in maybe some of the production, at least part of it, uh, trying think- to make it, take it more serious. And he's what he he made them sound like. Oh man, Necromandus. <laughs> here's your song titles. Maybe, you know, it's going to be, and then it's not at all what we expected. Yeah. But that's good. Like, like, like Brett was saying, that's really good on his part to be like, this is, this is what you should song titles should be. I don't care what the song is about. This is what it should be. This is what you call yourself. This is how you're going to market yourself. And uh, yeah, maybe so. Yeah. I, you know, I think the whole vocals being super loud thing. I think that's just a classic, uh, Classic, like the last thing you recorded is. is the loudest thing in the mix. 
you know, like they did the vocals last when you're mixing something and you just recorded it. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a flute. The next day when you go sit down at the desk and you click play, the flute is flaring through the speakers and you're like, wow, can I let that be so loud? But like they probably were like trying to get it all done quick. Vocals just super loud because they did them last every time. And it's not like you can just undo, control, alt, delete, fucking Pro Tools the hell out of it. It's there it is, you know. Yeah. What it is, it's on tape. We already bounced it down. So sorry, dude. <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, can we can we remix it? And they're like, well, that's yeah. gonna be another reel of tape if you want to go <laughs> pick that up for you know fifty dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are some of the points yeah. that we should tell the Fuzz Club listeners? to listen for why should they check this album out if they're listening to this and going well this is not a heavy album it's not black sabbath they've already talked about how they don't like the vocals or whatever what are some of the points that we should tell the people listening to this that are worth checking out i didn't go into it looking for sabbath player yeah but the guitar player for sure he's a fantastic guitar player okay and it's just the rest of the great guitar players from that time retchie blackmore jeff beck eric clapton jimmy page None of them quite sound the same, but they're all from that same era, and he's just like that, but he's got his own spin. And, and a lot of – sorry, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt. You're good, Pat. You go, I've talked so much. You go right ahead. Uh, I mean, a lot of, of stoner rock and, and the fuzz that we talk about on the Fuzz Club is – like stoner rock is rooted in like that 70s sort of retro rock. And to me, like the very first note I heard, I was like back in the 70s. And this captures so much of that. And it also captures the breadth of like the 70s, everything from the Sabbath, the heavier end to like Jethro Tull, the weird sort of folky end as well. And so this is like a nice snapshot of everything that would eventually become Stoner Rock. So I think this is like a nice back to your roots kind of album without listening to Master of Reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's totally you hear roots in this. Like you hear like people's foundation in some yeah. of the bands I was to now. Like I even mentioned it to Tony. Like I hear some of the guitar playing, even whether he, he's he's been an established guitar player long before you heard this record. I just hear it. So it has the fuzz without the fuzz. It has the 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 progressions. The 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 roots of the guitar playing or are there and and the looseness of the record you could tell they're playing this live it's it's oh, hell to have, have the record just about to say that. it's loose and jammy i love it mm-hmm. i love it you can feel that, that, was the next, that was the next point i was going to make they all tracked it together and then just did some overdubs and added vocals so like you know you got the vibe of the band not track the drums track the bass track the guitar overdubs solo vocals dubs extra vocals right yeah like this is probably the whole song done in one day yep anything else you want to say about this album (laughs) the rhythm section was fantastic good for (laughs) them yeah yeah the drummer really he he rips Yeah. yeah I think anyone that listens to this will want to check it out after hearing this conversation. So, I, well, I hope so. I mean, I think that's what made this this one very interesting to me for a lot of reasons. Is that we we didn't all love it. We didn't all agree on what we loved about it. We didn't all agree on the vocals. We didn't all agree on the production. Uh, the backstory kind of took a forefront to the music. I think that it's interesting, and I think to me that's kind of what the Fuzz Club is about, where people will discover something out of their comfort zone. Because I did, mm-hmm. you know, and I hope that other people do. So, yeah. well, take a chance. Check well, it Tony out. Reed said it your horizons just, a little just, bit. I, I love it. Tony I think Reed, that's cool about it. Tony Reed said it's one of his favorites. People will listen to it. Believe me. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> if you're a vinyl yeah. Sabbath person like me, then you have to buy it for the backstory, regardless. So, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know that these people listening to this are Sabbath freaks. So, if you want a little bit more of your Sabbath history here you go here's a little bit more of it so uh i think it's i think it's very cool i'm so glad that we dove into this album a little bit and thanks to paul from uh the cosmic peddler for recommending this one and thanks to tony reed for joining us and giving us a little bit more information about it uh i'm gonna let you guys all kind of plug whatever you want to plug before we wrap up but i also want to give a shout out to luke 
who is uh, a common contributor to the Fuzz Club. He had a baby today. That's why he's not uh, here with us. Yeah. So congratulations yeah. to Luke. Uh, I believe, awesome. I believe, his, I believe right. his kid is named Waylon because he's a hillbilly. So uh, <laughs> we're going to go on to Brett. What's up? Yeah. What, are, what are you up to? Um, well, I do want to say a couple things before we sign off here. One, I've never listened to any of Tony's music, so I'm going to have to get on that tonight. I, I recently, because he was coming on, I went back and listened to a lot of Moss Generator. Yeah, you know what to do. Just send me the links. Good stuff, dude. It's good. It's good, good good. stuff, man. It's it's solid, fuzzy, stoner rock. It's I was actually I was more pleasantly surprised than I expected to be. I knew that they were legendary. I knew that they had a big following, but I listened to it and was like, oh, I get it. I I know I see why they are. Yeah, I'm gonna that up. Start with Lonely One Kenobi. Tony my favorite song right now. Lonely One. I would say the same thing. I, yeah. I would say the same thing. That song rocks. Yeah. And Tony and is one, of my, on, one of my favorite. Everybody's eyes glaze over, and I'm like, who the fuck is he? Lonely <laughs> One Kenobi is my favorite Moss Generator song to sing along with, especially during that chorus. I, I always sing along to that. All right. I'm going to check it out. But the other Lonely. thing I'm going to say is like <laughs> people comparing this to like Black Sabbath. It would be like if I met somebody who was a huge Led Zeppelin fan and I was like, oh, you got to check out Pink Floyd. They're great. You know? And then like, you check out Pink Floyd. They're completely different, but they're still a great right. band. You know, it's right. kind of like that comparison, not so much that they sound anything like Sabbath. Right. That's but, fair. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Look forward to a new little EP coming out very shortly. That's my plan. You've been saying very shortly for at least like a year. So. Oh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm well. I'm that's looking the timeline these days for music more than anyone else. Sure so I, I hope that that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm almost done finishing up the vocals on the very last song. I got the other ones mixed and ready to go. Awesome. I'm gonna master them all together, and it's game over. Let's do it, <laughs> Jen. What's up with you? Uh, check out Women in Vinyl. We're doing awesome things to inform the community on what's going on with vinyl, how it's made, um, breaking down any barriers to entry. Um, we've got an awesome job board. Uh, we're a nonprofit. Uh, lots of cool stuff happening over there. So check that out. And then if you need a record pressed, we do have long turn times, but um, hit me up at jenatgoldrushvinyl.com. Um, eight to 10 months and we do smaller runs. So you can still have your record made sometime soon. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. At- uh, check out monsterriff.com. Um, there's always new articles up at each week and just put out a new episode of the podcast with, um, silent monolith, uh, which is monolith, which is a great stoner rock band out of Nashville. Um, so that was, that was a fun episode. And then the 20th of this month, um, monster Riff will be premiering the debut track from robots are dicks which is a really cool interesting band out of orlando um so keep an eye out for that awesome. is that band name real or fuzzed real <laughs> uh you won't guess how they spell it but uh that is uh real all right well i'll be checking that out i like and I, I love silent mile they're great that's a, a that's all, that record's awesome yeah yeah, it was really good. And then for me, all I've got, we just announced a tour, a, a short tour in the desert with Fatso Jetson and All Souls, uh, which is going to be awesome because those are like legends uh, on the scene and some of my favorites. And probably this week we'll announce our tour on the way to meet them in the desert. But I'm so excited because one of the shows we're doing out there is uh, a generator party. That- <laughs> That nice. Mario Lolly's putting together, and he even told me because it's, it's at Look Cook's at Ranch. You. So it's at Cook's Ranch, and I'm he's telling me we're playing this festival or this show. You know, he he, is, he booked a show, so I'm looking up Cook's Ranch. I'm like, hey Mario, I can't find any information on this venue. And he goes, "That's because it's a guy's ranch." I'm like, "Okay," and and then he's like, "Yeah, um, we're going to bring back the generator party uh, for for that night," and I'm that's like freaking dream come true for me so that's that's gonna be that's gonna be super cool very cool 
I I'm super jealous. I I kick myself from for moving back from Austin every day of my life, aside from the fact that I have two kids that are awesome. So uh, <laughs> I I'm so jealous of that man. That sounds that sounds super sweet. So uh, I can't wait. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys. Everyone, go check out Necromandus: Erexus of Death. And uh, thanks for listening. And thanks for checking out the podcast. And we're gonna keep doing what we're doing because I think it's been fun. And even if you're not listening, I think it's been fun for us. So fuck it. (laughs) Might as well. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you, y'all. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.